you have single-handedly changed our family because of mastermind because i felt safe enough and realized with your help realized that it's not just about the picking up of the toys and the back talk and the productive conversation scripts it's not about that it's about healing myself and becoming a better version of myself and showing up and being able to be that way for my entire family I really credit you with doing something that I literally have not been able to do with countless therapists and all the journaling and all the thinking and all the meditating and all the things. It was because of you. So thank you for helping heal what I thought was unhealable. My name is Randy Rubenstein, and welcome to the Mastermind Parenting Podcast. At Mastermind Parenting, we're on a mission to support strong-willed kids and the families that love them. You're listening to the Mastermind Parenting Podcast with Randy Rubenstein, episode 148. Well, hi guys, how are you today? We are digging in this month to the topic of reparenting and that's what we talked about in the last episode and so I'm going to be adding on to that and talking about what Dr. Nicole, the holistic psychologist, describes in her newest book, How to Do the Work. I think it's actually her first book, How to Do the Work, Recognize Your Patterns, Heal from Your Past, and Create Yourself. Uh, She goes by the holistic psychologist on Instagram. And so I'm going to go through what she defines as the process to reparenting yourself and how it consists of four pillars. And then I'm going to add on my insight and the mastermind parenting reparenting process. And hopefully it'll give you a lot of juicy bits to take away and to start using in your own life. So a reminder, Dr. Nicole Uh, defines reparenting as the act of giving yourself what you didn't receive as a child. She says it consists of four pillars and it looks different for everyone and the process is not necessarily linear. Okay, so pillar one is emotional regulation. And what is emotional regulation? What it really means is like not, not freaking out and acting like a lunatic or leaving the premises, you know, like, like, fight or flight when something triggers you, okay? So I gave a a little story of my own life from last week when I was trying to tell my husband about Dr. Nicole's book and he all of a sudden needed to fidget and straighten the picture frames in my bedroom and it triggered my feeling dismissed, okay? So even though it's like, like this is such a good example, I think, because it's like, it's like the stupid little moments, that all of a sudden we're just like so mad and we don't know why you know it's just like it's just like these little ordinary moments in our life and we have this reaction inside our body and we have to start kind of noticing even when we're feeling reactive it's like separating yourself from you know i felt myself going there so i was aware so when you bring more conscious awareness to what's actually happening in your body which i didn't do for so many years i had no clue what was happening so this is a process and this is it's like a muscle you're strengthening when you start to sort of witness your own behavior while you're in the moment doesn't mean that you're not going to ever feel triggered it just means that you are at least aware when it's happening 
okay? So I'm feeling that anger bubbling up in that moment. Now, even though him not being interested in this topic I want to talk to him about, and at that particular time, and it's like not in any way the same thing as when I first, when my four-year-old self first experienced that feeling of being dismissed. You know, there's the, the, two, the two situations are not the same at all. But because as that book says, the body keeps score, my body remembers feeling dismissed. And so all of a sudden I like re-experience that same feeling. Okay, so it's very interesting when you just start to become aware that that's happening. Okay, so what is a trigger? Let's just, you know, I know I use this term a lot. And so I just want to take it back a, a step and just even explain what does that even mean? So when a situation reminds your body of a time you felt the same emotion, you feel in this current moment, in that current moment of him all of a sudden strengthening the picture frames, I start to feel the same emotion, which was really, it was that, you know, anger, but anger is a secondary emotion. So what was beneath the anger, it was actually sadness and maybe even embarrassment, vulnerability. I, I'm trusting somebody with something that I want to tell them about and they're not, they're disinterested or they're dismissive in some way. Okay, so there's something about this moment that that triggers the same thing you felt at another time in your life. So the situation actually triggers your nervous system. Your nervous system becomes reactive and you find yourself in fight, flight, or freeze. Okay, I want to focus for a sec on the freeze response because this is something that I've learned very recently. I, when really bad things happen, I actually go into a freeze response. And um, and one of the things I felt super guilty about for a long time is when my daughter was two, she had a terrible accident where she like fell off a bar stool and it was a metal, it was an iron bar stool and it had these little X's and they, they embedded like in her head, in her forehead. I mean, it, she looked like she was like in a satanic cult. There was like two little X's on her forehead and um and it was like blood was gushing out i mean emergency room you know like one one of them we could actually see all the way through to her skull it was extremely traumatizing for all of us and i i had i was changing in my closet and and my son who was only you know five at the time she was two he was five he comes up to my closet which you know I guess was like at the far most farthest point in my house and he's like mom we've been yelling for you we're in the car dad says let's go Avery hurt herself we have to go to the hospital now and I literally was like naked in my closet and I couldn't figure out how to get dressed like I was frozen to the point that Scott had to come upstairs, and I'm usually a pretty take charge kind of person, so it was like really out of character. Scott Scott comes all the way upstairs. My husband comes all the way upstairs, leaves the bleeding child in the car, in her car seat, and, um, you know, giant X holes in her head. And he comes upstairs, and he's like, you know, what the fuck are you doing? What is happening? And I, and I mean, literally, he like pretty much had to get me dressed. So 
I, I just recently learned about the freeze response, okay? And, um, and I learned it from uh, Peter Levine, and I can't remember the exact name of his book right now, but he's pretty much one of the forefront experts on trauma. And he's a therapist who's created something called SE, the SE model of healing, which is somatic experience healing from trauma. Um, and he explains the freeze response and what he, what I took from him was that he says the freeze response in particular has to do with the trauma from your fat, from your past that felt too painful to stay in your body. So you literally go into a catatonic state and the way he explains a lot about how we react to trauma in terms of our survival instincts, fight, flight, or freeze, he compares it to, um, animals in the wild. In fact, his book is called something about waking the sleeping tiger I should know the name of the book I can't remember um but he says it's like um that catatonic that catatonic state is like when an animal goes limp to send the predator um to send the predator away by playing dead you know it's kind of like a possum playing possum and so you know that animal when faced with a tiger in the jungle like with when faced with a tiger tiger in the jungle the gazelle will try and escape by going flight, running super fast. Or if there's other gazelles around, they will gather together and fight hard to try and, you know, protect themselves against the tiger and fight the tiger, you know, which they can do in, in a group. Or it'll go limp. It'll go limp to make the tiger maybe think it's dead. Okay, and what he says about animals in the wild when they go through a traumatic experience, because, you know, obviously animals in the wild don't have the developed brains that humans do. After they've had a super scary situation that put them into a state of survival, after it's over, they literally begin to shake all over their body. Like you'll see an animal after all of this, like, you know, the adrenaline's so high, the cortisol levels are all so high. And then the animal literally shakes uncontrollably all over. And then it's, and then it's done. So the animal, like animals don't have PTSD. They allow the emotions to move through their body. And then they literally shake it off. And that's, their way that they allow their nervous system to recalibrate and become balanced again but unfortunately we don't know how we don't typically do this when we're little humans being conditioned um like we don't typically shake off a scary situation and um and allow and learn how to allow the emotions to move through us and shake it off we don't we don't do that. I mean, if you think about like if your kid falls on the ground, you know, it's not, it's not typical for us to go and just sit with them and allow them to experience all the emotions of being scared, feeling the pain, and then, you know, ultimately determining when they're ready to get up and go resume whatever activity you know, usually we scoop them up and it's instinct you know we scoop them up we shake them off we um, maybe tell them you're okay you're okay or hopefully we say ow that seems like it really hurts what can I get you what can I get you um, 
rather than just sort of being with them in the moment and allowing them to move through all the emotions. Like we just don't do that. So we're not conditioned with that ability to shake it off. And, and as a result, what happens is, is that our, when we go through something that triggers a survival response, the emotions become trapped in our body and the nervous system stays activated. I thought it was interesting to learn about the freeze response because it helped me to understand like unresolved trauma um, you know, and having a lot of unresolved trauma when you're a little tiny person, uh, quite often it's just like too much. And you, when you don't know how to process it, you just go into this catatonic state. And that is literally, it's always been so out of character for me. Cause you know, like I said, I'm like a pretty take charge person. And, um, and so the fact that I do that, it's always, I've always been like, what is wrong with me? Why do I do that? You know, and I always tease my husband uh, that he's the opposite. Like he's kind of an alarmist and he, you know, I'm pretty relaxed normally in life where I don't make a huge deal about little things. Whereas he can, you know, make, a, you know, a mountain out of a molehill and, um, and make it into a big deal. And then when something actually scary happens, like Avery, you know, having her accident, um, he'll he'll kind of be calm and collected like he knows how to drive <laughs> he can use his critical thinking um he's really he's a really good nurse he's really good with first aid he becomes like this calm grounded centered person um that just is like that grown-up that you want to have around if shit goes south and i'm kind of the opposite and i'm like yeah, I think you're good in a state of disaster because it's sort of like life is a dress rehearsal for you with all your alarmist tendencies. So like when it really does go south, you're like, I've been preparing for this. I'm ready. Let's do this. You know, and he's like, shut up. Um, but yeah, I've beat myself up about it. So it really helped me to kind of understand it. So, so when we experience scary emotions, you know, because we have like in the future, right? So when we've had all these emotions, unprocessed emotions, we didn't know how to shake them off and they're trapped in our body. When we have a situation that triggers that same emotion in the future, we quickly go back into that reactive state. And this is essentially what a trigger is. It's an indication of an unhealed trauma from your past or from a trauma from your past. It's just, it's like a window. Okay, so when we become reactive, when our kids trigger us, we in turn create a future triggered state of reactivity in them, right? Because when the grown-ups get reactive, it's scary for kids. Like they want us to be like my husband is in those in those situations. They they when they're scared, when they're in a state of survival, they need us to stay calm and grounded um, so that they can what's called co-regulate and 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 it can help them to feel calmer and more grounded um so when we get reactive it's scary for them and then that creates a trigger within them that's going to cause them to be reactive so that's how the cycle of unhealed trauma passes as we say in judaism lador vador from generation to generation you know, and it literally just gets passed down. So reparenting, pillar one is emotional regulation and healing from those old triggers so that we can take control of our reactivity and have the ability to balance our own nervous systems. So like when I was from last week's episode, when I was feeling 
angry inside because my dismissed trigger was bubbling up for me. When my husband left the room, I took three deep inhales and exhales. That's my immediate way I'm starting to recalibrate my nervous system and take back control. Okay, so the best way to begin is really through doing the breath work. Um, That doesn't mean you need to go read a whole book on it. You certainly can. You can take a class on it. You can read a book on it. You can take a yoga class. You can practice ujjayi breath. But it's literally learning how to take deep belly breaths and hold it in and then slow exhales and truly learn how to, to productively breathe to start to balance those hormones that are raging inside of you. Okay, so that's pillar one. Pillar two of reparenting is, as Dr. Nicole would call it, she calls it loving discipline. And the way I define this is, you know, discipline, the word discipline actually means to teach. Okay, and when we include loving teaching, we begin learning from our mistakes and improving our habits. So, so loving discipline is very different than punishment. It's very different than that punishment model. It means we're meant to learn. We're meant to um, we're meant to learn new things, and we want to be taught things in a loving way that feels good. And so because we're all messy humans, we're going to screw up. We're going to make mistakes, right? We're going to have negative habits and patterns in our lives. But every time we screw up, for instance, every time you're learning these kinds of tools here, you're trying to reparent yourself, and then you find yourself repeating scripts that you heard as a kid from your grown-ups that felt terrible, and then you find those words coming out of your mouth, or you find yourself going into reactive state and yelling or shaming and blaming and handling the whole situation, you know, the opposite way of the way that you were intending. If afterwards you then beat yourself up and tell yourself how awful you are and how you're a hypocrite and a fraud and you listen to a parenting podcast, but then you don't actually do it. You're just acting, you know, explosive. You're screwing up your kids, blah, 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 blah. If you go into that place of guilt and shame for yourself, well, that's you punishing yourself. That is not loving discipline. Versus loving discipline would say, I'm going to learn from my mistakes and improve my habits. Of course, I just did that. Because that's how I was conditioned. So that's what comes online when I'm feeling triggered. There's more for me to heal from. But I did notice right before I yelled, I noticed how it felt in my body. I knew that I was about to yell. I knew I shouldn't yell in that moment. And I was actually aware of it rather than just on my on autopilot. You know, like I was aware of it in the moment. Like I had some awareness. And so like like holding some space for yourself and I call it call, pausing for applause over all of those little noticing moments, okay? So taking the time afterwards to be like, of course I resorted back to that. You know what? Rome wasn't built in a freaking day. Like can I give myself a minute? I am here. I am learning. I am practicing, I wish I wouldn't have handled it that way. It was a mistake. What can I do right now to repair the damage? Oh, I think I'm going to go and talk to my kid about it. I think I'm going to own 
that I shouldn't have yelled. I think I'm going to own why it's not okay to handle situations the way I just handled it. I'm going to go and own why I don't want to be that mom. And I'm going to have a conversation with them about it. Okay? So when you take the time to look at it and to love yourself as you're learning something new, well, then you learn from your mistakes and you go and you start to improve your habits by going and having a conversation with your kid and just owning it. So Dr. Nicole suggests beginning with making small promises to yourself by setting boundaries. And she has a whole chapter on boundaries. I have a whole program on boundaries. Boundaries are a big one. And we're not going to dig into boundaries because that's, I've had multiple podcast episodes on boundaries and um, there's a lot that has to do with boundaries. But what she says is, is when you teach yourself, the way to hold yourself accountable is to intentionally set boundaries. What's okay with you and what's not okay with you in your life. And you start to you know, teach yourself new practices and new habits by just keeping small promises. Like, what's one thing I'm going to do next time I become reactive? What's the one thing I'm going to do? I'm not going to let myself off the hook. I mean, this could be your your one small promise. I'm not going to let myself off the hook. I don't have to get it right every single time. And I'm not going to. And when I have those oops moments... I'm going to hold myself accountable by going back to my kid and saying, that's not who I want to be. I made that into a whole big deal. And it was probably pretty scary when I started yelling. And y'all don't go into, but you shouldn't have and blah, blah, blah. If you do this, you can't start teaching your kids in that moment. Because loving discipline is for you and for them. So if you show up from keeping, you know, from a place of keeping this promise that I'm just going to own my mistake and I'm not going to try and teach them something in the process, I'm just going to model what it looks like to make a mistake and be a human that holds yourself accountable. That's what I'm going to do. That's a damn awesome promise to keep to yourself. So pillar number three of reparenting is self-care. And she says that true self-care is about identifying your wants and needs. Like it's not getting your nails done, guys. Although I love getting a good manicure. Um, But she says true self-care is identifying your wants and needs. How to care for yourself both physically and emotionally. Especially in ways that they weren't met in childhood. Like feeling seen, heard, and enjoyed. Right? By yourself. Feeling seen, heard heard and enjoyed so part of self-care a big part she talks a lot about sleep and she says taking care you know well I say this taking care of your basic needs right like sleep and food and learning to nourish yourself like you would a child that's a great place to start you care for yourself like you do your kids you put yourself to bed like you put your kids to bed not at the same time but how about Bath, books, and bed. What does it look like for you to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wash the day off of myself. I'm going to soak. I'm going to be clean. I'm going to invest in pajamas that I love and, or great sheets. I'm going to read. I'm going to turn off screens. I'm going to make sure that I get eight hours a night so that I can start tomorrow with my tank full. I'm going to actually cook a meal for myself. Like even if my kids 
complain about everything and all they want is, you know, the most basic things, I'm going to cook a decent meal for myself or pick up a decent meal for myself because I deserve to be nourished properly. Okay, so taking care of your own basic needs, I think is a great place to start. And I think it's the number one place that most parents ignore. But just know, like, you can't be your best self if your basic needs aren't being met. And so her, the pillar four from Dr. Nicole, from Dr. Nicole is to rediscover joy. She, this is a hard one for me. She says she has a whole long explanation of this. You'll have to get her book and read about it. But essentially she says that most of, for most of us, that childhood magic and joy was turned off. Like we were sent messages that we needed to do things that were way more productive than, you know, things that involved creativity. You know, like do your math homework, put down the paintbrush. So you've got to learn how to get curious, curious about things. What do you actually want to learn about? Like what would be fun to read about, to learn about, to listen to a podcast on? I mean, Scott and I took a walk the other day and we listened to a Tim Ferriss, Vince Vaughn podcast. There was really, there was no major intention other than we just wanted to listen to a, a podcast with Vince Vaughn because we love him and we think he's hilarious. So what are you curious about, right? What feels creative for you? Now, creativity can involve listening to music with your kids and just you know especially I found this with little kids like they're too young to judge you you can kind of let your hair down and sing as loud and as out of tune as you want to like what does it look like to just let your hair down and let I mean I think music is one of the greatest ways to bring more creativity into your day and more fun Um, and it's especially I mean it's like those witching hours, four to seven, you turn music on, you've got those soundtracks playing in the background, and all of a sudden your house just became a whole different vibe. So how do you include more play in your life? How do you cultivate that childlike sense of wonder? She's real big, Dr. Nichols real big about incorporating more music and singing and nature and doing things like just because, just because you want to. doesn't even have to serve a purpose, just because you want to including more of those things in your life. So Dr. Nicole says that this reparenting process is hard, consistent work, and it can bring up intense feelings of anger and loneliness. Um, you know, I, she really, she's, she, and I, I, I know I related to this part. She says, you know, you're going to start going through this process and guess what? The people closest to you, like maybe your family of origin, your closest friends, maybe even your spouse, um, they're not necessarily going to feel supportive. Like they're, you know, you're the one who chose to change. They haven't joined you yet, if ever. So it can be a lonely process. It can also ignite a lot of anger within you. Like, why? Why wasn't this done for me? Why? It should have been different. It should, it should, it should. So just know that it can definitely bring up those feelings of anger and loneliness. And I just want you guys to be aware of that because when those things come up, please make sure to surround yourself with support, whether it's hiring a therapist um, who 
also incorporates some holistic practices or at least is supportive of holistic practices, you know, on top of traditional therapy, um, finding like-minded people. I mean, Dr. Dr. Nicole was talking about her process that she felt really lonely and she actually was able to find community online. Like that's how she built her online community because so much of her former life didn't really fit in with this reparenting she was doing. And so she really connected a lot online with people. So find, do not go at this alone. Find like-minded people to do this work with you. Um, it really can feel daunting when you're attempting to meet your true self, when you've been conditioned to put her in a box and stuff her away. Like it can feel daunting. You don't even know where to begin. So, um, you know, I just want y'all to be gentle with yourself with this. Find people you can, it's like right now, I feel like I'm in five book clubs talking about this book because I know from being on this path alone for so long that it feels terrible to feel lonely. So when I started reading it, I found my people who wanted to read it alongside so we, I could, because I know myself, I'm a dweller and I wanted to talk about it and talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. So I wanted to have lots of people to talk about it with. So find those like-minded people, whether they're in real life or in your virtual world, but don't go at this alone. Um, and if you're having a hard time processing your own story and finding your own puzzle pieces, know that like you don't have to be a lone wolf like I was for so many years thinking that I needed to solve all my problems by myself. Like there are amazing therapists out there and coaches and healers and, and lots of avenues of support. So please, please find them. Um, I thought this was interesting. She, she says in her book that she often receives the question, how can we make sure we don't do this to our children? And I found myself as I was reading it being like, shit, I thought I was doing it so differently, but I passed this down and I passed that down and that feels terrible. And that makes it, that I noticed myself kind of wanting to then start skimming through the book and dissociating because it felt too painful to sort of face where have I not done things as well as I wanted to believe I had. Okay. So, you know, we can go into this place of so much worry and so much fear. And what she says is, is she says, you know, you can't, you can't be sure. You know, parenting's difficult and emotionally activating and you're going to screw up. And what I want to add on to that is that I believe that reparenting yourself while parenting your children is the perfect recipe to recondition yourself alongside them, right? Because as we, as we reparent ourselves, um, it really puts it at the forefront of all the things that we want, we don't want to repeat, you know, so, so it's like we're, we're, we're growing up alongside our kids and that's how we raise them differently because it's this open, honest conversation. And I also like to think of it in this way. If any of you are familiar with Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, in that book, he talks about how Essentially, it takes 10,000 hours of practice to achieve expert status, 
So like the difference between becoming a music teacher and a professional musician is a music teacher has 6,000 hours of practice or something like that. And um, a professional musician has 10,000 hours of practice. So when you're trying to learn new skills, you need to have opportunities for those 10,000 hours of practice to get your 10,000 hours in, right? So if you're doing trauma healing and and you're reconditioning you know, yourself, you're really working hard to recondition yourself, to reparent yourself. If you're doing that work outside of parenthood, if you're not a parent and you're doing that work to reparent yourself, I don't think you have near as many opportunities to become triggered, to become activated, to to meet yourself, to find all those those old puzzle pieces, those old unfinished, you know, unhealed wounds from your past so if you think about it right like our kids trigger sometimes every hour if not every 10 minutes okay and and all these moments in our day when you're given a triggered moment it's an opportunity to witness huh what's coming up for me which puzzle piece is this what why did I just get so activated because he was straightening the stupid picture on the wall what was that you know when he left the room I'm sitting there going okay I feel so like I felt the anger bubbling okay what's underneath the anger okay sadness what else embarrassment yeah I got real graspy read this book read this book she's so great let me tell you why embarrassment Right? So here now I'm able to find that hidden puzzle piece because I had a triggered moment. It's like experiential learning. So if you're a dissociator and you can't remember a lot from your childhood, okay, but you find yourself getting triggered like on the reg with your kids, these moments are windows into all those forgotten memories. Because remember, the body keeps score. So every time you're triggered, You can literally begin asking yourself, what was that about? What was coming up for me? How did that make me feel? Like, what is the emotion if I had to name it? Where were the sensations in my body? For me, y'all have heard me say many times in the situation I've been using as an example, I felt the anger bubbling in my chest. Like literally taking a minute and saying, where do I feel this in my body? You know? If your body has been numb, if your brain has been dissociated, set noticing where you even feel the sensations in your body is a really big deal. And asking yourself, like, when did I first feel that way in my life? You know, after you start to do that, you're like, when was the first time I felt this way? Because the more curious you get, the more easily the memories will become available for you to begin looking at. And this is how you build self-awareness and uncover and uncover those puzzle pieces of your life so that you can heal from your unfinished business and get unstuck and feel better. Because remember, all change begins with awareness. You have to know what to change, why it's there, what you wanted instead to change the patterns, right? Like what did you want instead? And this is how we change those patterns in our life to ones that will serve us and our kids in ways that allow us to feel better and ultimately do better. Maya Angelou said, 
When you know better, you do better. I think it's when you feel better, you do better. This is how we break unhealthy generational patterns. And I think this is how we change the world, by raising kids and the future generations a little bit better so they can grow up to feel healthy and whole and do it even better than we can. Have a beautiful week. Well, I hope you now have some new tips and tools and ways of looking at the reparenting process, putting on your own oxygen mask first. Remember, reparenting is all about giving yourself what you didn't receive. So it's giving yourself the love, care, and understanding you wanted as a kid. Because guess what? You deserve that. To continue moving the needle forward and creating a happier household and life, I want you to go to my website, mastermindparenting.com, and check out my three beginning programs. They're very concise. It's easy to follow. You'll find the right program for you. And get started. Get started. Life's too short. As always, remember, we're on all the social channels. On Instagram, we're mastermind underscore parenting and on Facebook you can join my free group mastermind parenting community where we post tips and tools most multiple times weekly and we also especially this month we're going to be doing a lot of pop-up Facebook lives in that coaching group where I'm going to do some extra teaching and coaching all about the reparenting process and really honing in on your burning questions because remember I want to help you support your strong-willed kids so that they can feel better and do better. And we have to go through this reparenting process because we can't teach what we don't have. The link to the Facebook group, Mastermind Parenting Community, is in the show notes. Can't wait to see you there.